Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, let me tell you, we, we woke this morning to signs of economic uh, collapse, trade wars, uh, chaos on the international markets, uh, the Chinese threatening to impose tariffs on every possible good exported to China from a red state. Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess this trade war thing is... Is happening? Well, they're easy to win. We know that from from President Trump. This has been an extraordinary a little period in the in the Trump administration because you have, in addition to those tariffs, the attacks on Amazon, and you see Wall Street reacting very negatively. And we know the president looks at Wall Street as something of a scoreboard. It's something he likes to tout. Or, I mean, he can't, he can't talk about his approval ratings anymore, except for that, that well, maybe lonely Rasmussen he poll yeah. hasn't been fifty. Uh, he likes to see the you know it's kind of replaced the the polls is what he looks at. Well, I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I saw the stock market open down 500 points this morning, um, then kept going down, then kind of bounced up a little bit, and then and then emerged from the West Wing today, Larry Kudlow, the incoming uh, chairman of the Council on Economic Advisors. Does he even have a job yet? Is he, is I he don't he actually yet? think he's on the job yet. I did see him yesterday at, in the uh, in the East Room at the press yeah. conference the president had held with the Baltic uh, leaders, and he did emerge from the West Wing to do an interview, and he was kind of mobbed by reporters, and he seemed to be saying, tariff schmariffs, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, I, nothing's really happened yet. Anyway, I want I want to play... Just just a, a little excerpt of, of what Larry Kudlow said today uh, about the tariffs. I'm not a fan of tariffs. I'm a free trader by and large. But I think the president is completely right to take these actions. Now, China is going to have its own tariff process. Bear in mind, Stu, these are just the first proposals, okay? In the United States, at least, uh, we're putting it out for comment. It's going to take a couple months. Uh, I doubt if there'd be any concrete actions for several months. We'll see how that plays out. Nothing concrete has actually happened. These are proposals. <laughs> in other words, in other words, uh, you know, may not happen. I mean, he even suggested talking in a little gaggle outside the West Wing that, that these tariffs may not actually go into place. And right now they're just proposals, Rick. They're just proposals. It was interesting. The markets, if you look at it, the markets were down well over 300 points as he was speaking. And now, at this point, uh, the NASDAQ, last I checked, I know you've been following your, your, your stocks very closely. Sure, yeah. uh, it was actually up. Nothing concrete has actually happened. That's actually a, a decent headline for this week in, in Washington, or at least in Donald Trump's Washington. It, it, we're seeing this string of examples recently, John, where the president seems to be making policy on the fly. Uh, whatever kind of pops into his head at the moment, maybe whatever meeting's coming up, whatever he's asked about, or just whatever he wants to opine on, he is... It's the improv presidency we talked about. That, that's right. He has totally thrown out the script. He is letting Trump be Trump. Uh, and the impact is moving markets and worrying allies and worrying uh, often members of his own administration who are caught off guards on these things. But the, but that that to me is the revelation that nothing concrete has actually happened. Do the words matter at all anymore in this Trump presidency? What do these promises? What do these vows? These these very firm that I can tell you is that you get from the White House all the time. Do they mean anything at all when you know that the policy can be reversed moments later? Well. You know, one of the there are many examples. So let's just take one of them. He was at a meeting with the three leaders of the Baltic nations, Latvia, Lithuania, and my personal favorite Estonia, and he talked about you know uh, the 
a whole new idea on immigration, a brand new one. Listen. We are preparing for the military to secure our border between Mexico and the United States. Uh, we have a meeting on it in a little while with General Mattis. <laughs> I mean, there you go. I mean, this- I mean, I mean, so first of all, that was at the press conference. He had first raised it in this uh, photo op, uh, what we call pull spray, as you know, um, in the um, in in the was it, was it the cabinet room or the Roosevelt room? Cabinet room, right? And uh, you know that led to all these questions, like, what does the president mean? He's right. going to militarize the border. What what the heck is this all about? I've got to tell you, Rick, because I you know I'm over there. This idea of using the United States military to secure the border with Mexico, this idea that the president came out with in this meeting with these leaders of countries, by the way, that are nowhere near Mexico. I don't know if you know this. The Baltic <laughs> True. Are they, have, they have their own they, borders. They, they, they have a different border they're worried about. Um, this idea surprised virtually everybody in the administration. This idea of using the military to secure the border surprised perhaps first and foremost the military yes the we, military we right. started calling over to the pentagon so what's going on what are these plans what are you guys going to do and there were we were getting heads were getting scratched and nobody knew what was going on it's not there is something behind it but there were no plans to do this and whatsoever a, a, the president had no plans before him none were drawn up here's what happened he had had a meeting last week um, with uh, with Kirsten Nielsen, the uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and she talked about the flow of drugs and gang members from Central America through uh, Mexico, Mexico into the United States. And during the course of this meeting, it was made he was made aware that he does have the power to use the National Guard uh, to send the National Guard to the border, which has been done before. It has been done. Actually, Obama did it, as you remember, in 2010. George W. Bush did it. Um, it's a very limited authority because you you know Posse Comitatus. I mean, I you know I mean you're you're you know you got that Ivy League education. You know about all this stuff, uh, but you cannot use the United States military for domestic law enforcement. Right. So they can't detain people at the border for crossing illegally. What they can do is they can help with surveillance. They can work on administrative functions that could free border agents to go and do the, do, do the work uh, of apprehending. But So there is there are things that can be done. But he was made aware of this, and it was in his head, and it just, it just popped out. And he'd also said that this has never been done before, and he made people think this was something the Mexicans, of course, freak out, and they call up and say, what is this? You know, all of a sudden we're going to have armed troops manning the border, U.S. troops. Clearly... We're going to be firing on I mean, to, to, to my mind, John, calling this idea half-baked suggests... It wasn't half-baked. Well, Maybe it's half-baked? Not even a recipe. I mean, this was just, just, just an right, idea. Right, you can't put it in the oven yet until you actually mix the ingredients, right? right? Is that how That's it works? That's right. We're not even close. And it, it, I, I wonder... It's one of those, you know, those cookies you get that, that, are, that are pre-made and you can kind of slice them and put exactly. them in. Exactly. Yeah. That, that all works. We weren't even there. We weren't even shopping yet. We, were, <laughs> we didn't have a list. I, I think for, for the president, and you, you study him closely, and, I, and you've actually taken this point of view over time, he is realizing a year plus into his time in office that he can get away with a lot. He can say things that are not true, as he does pretty regularly. Uh, he can um, he can throw ideas out there and walk away from them. He can commit to policy proposals and and back off on them. Uh, and the consequences don't seem to be there for him. 
the fact that he goes and says this and the military can go clean it up later and we'll find out what the National Guard is fine. It's just another little tiny thing. He, he, he says what he did about tariffs and the markets are rebounding. He doesn't see... Well, I'll give you another one. Do you remember he tweeted last week about using the military budget to build the right. wall? That's right. So I went and asked about this uh, senior officials uh, after this proposal suddenly emerged of using the military. I was like, well, where are we on the thing he said just a week ago? And I was told, well, look, I don't want to say that idea is dead, but can we just say it's on the back burner? <laughs> We're with another cooking metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> the burner's off. The stove's stove. One problem is if there's Congress no gas allocates up. money for X, you're actually not allowed to use it for Y. I mean, right. There's actually a little bit of a – That's you know, a thing, yeah. yeah. That's a constitutional thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I do wonder about the consequences of it all. I mean, the, 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 we, we've got to this new normal in Washington where the president regularly says things that are you know newsworthy and eye-popping and, frankly, outrageous. Uh, they actually don't have any grounding – not just they wouldn't have drowning in truth, which we know has been an issue in the past, but he is stating things that are happening policy-wise that are not happening policy-wise, that cannot happen policy-wise. And you see official Washington beginning to shrug its shoulders. I mean, members of Congress, Republicans in Congress have long gotten past the point where they feel it's necessary to respond to every presidential tweet or random thing that's, that's said. I mean, now these aren't just tweets. These are things he's right. saying. These are, these are actually words he's saying in press saying conferences. The camera. Exactly. But, but you don't even see a reaction from this anymore. It's that you, this is is the boy who cried wolf. He just happens to be the president crying wolf. So, you know, in the case of the tariffs, it did move markets. And then his his economic advisor comes out and the markets kind of rebound. But, you know, I imagine the economic advisor does that a few more times. He may not have a job, even though he doesn't have it yet because he's not officially become the... Right. You know what I'm saying. Um, it, it, I do just... I feel we've talked about the improv presidency. We talked about that from really since the day he got inaugurated. But it does seem to be more so. It does seem to be uh, from from moment to moment, he just doesn't seem to be going through any process whatsoever. I mean, let me give you just one more example. Syria. Yeah. Did you hear reason about Syria? I did. And and this is a big one. I mean, this is this is about the, the march of ISIS. It's about Assad's regime. It's about stability in the Middle East. There's a lot on the line in Syria. This isn't just, you know, playing around with the Dow, which has its own impacts. So right? Syria's on... ISIS on the verge of being defeated. They've basically been run out of Iraq. They've been almost almost pushed back entirely in Syria. But we have U.S. troops in Syria. Not a lot. We have we have, we so, have a couple yeah. thousand. And um, you know, they're, they're, Syria has a Russian military presence. It has a hell of a lot of Iranian uh, uh, Iranian presence. It. You know, ISIS is, is is currently on the run, and there is this U.S. presence. And here's what he had to say about it. I want to get out. I want to bring our troops back home. I want to start rebuilding our nation. Okay. Now, that's not a surprising statement to hear the president say this is the guy that embraced the phrase America first during his campaign. Right. America first. Right. Okay. So not entirely surprising, but at the very moment— that he was talking about this across town at the U.S. Institute of Peace. There was an event that featured uh, General Votel, who is the, com- the, the, the combatant commander of, of CENTCOM, which has responsibility over those troops in Syria. Uh, Brett McGurk, who is in charge of 
um, coordinating uh, policy towards uh, uh, towards Iraq and Syria for for the administration out of the State Department, and also the head of USAID. And these three very senior officials in Donald Trump's administration were assuring the audience that the United States was going to remain committed in Syria. And because, you know, the, the idea we, we defeat ISIS, we right. pull out, and then the Iranians go in, the Russians, you know, the, or, or, or ISIS comes back. And listen to this. This was from General Votel, again, the top U.S. official for the Middle East, the military official for the Middle East. And the hard part, I think, is in front of us, and that is stabilizing these areas, consolidating our gains, getting people back into their homes, uh, addressing the long-term uh, uh, issues of reconstruction and other things that will have to be done. And, and this, of course, is uh, there is a there is a military role in this. So I don't know. I mean, once again, you have senior officials responsible for implementing the policies outlined by the president, articulating policies that appear almost diametrically opposed to what the president himself is saying. You see that on the Syria policy. You see that on the tariff policy. And to a degree, you saw it with this discussion of militarizing the border. So the question is, who do you believe at the end of the day, the president, the commander in chief, or the people he has hired to uh, implement his policies. It, this takes alternative facts into a whole another realm when you start this to... Is alternative reality, this alternative reality, It is. And, and the president constructing that reality. And I continue to think that until or unless he feels consequences for these things, then they're going to continue. I mean, he he can say these things because he's president and everything has to move around him. And there is, there's really not a mechanism for adequate accountability around that. And and so he's, he's yanking everyone around on this. And to my mind probably enjoying it. I mean, we the, earlier in the week, he started tweeting about uh, about DACA, said that uh, the Democrats killed DACA and that DACA was dead. And he got almost every major fact just flat out wrong in this tweet storm. That doesn't matter either. He's on to the next thing. He's a step ahead as that pebble hits the po- the middle of the uh, of the, the pond and the, the ripples head all over the place. I throw one extra piece of this out there that I thought was uh, interesting out of that news conference is uh, the suggestion that the Saudis should be paying us if they want to continue uh, our military presence in Syria. For the president who says it's all about the oil, it's all about the money, basically suggesting that the United States military would a mercenary be force. mercenaries for the Saudis because they're the ones that are getting rich off of that. That's a novel concept. I don't know that it has, that has uh, really any, any precedent. I also don't think it's under any consideration whatsoever, despite the fact that the president said it. So uh, we're going to be talking in just a moment with uh, the author of, of a new book about the Trump White House, Ronald Kessler, who yeah, has been about as positive as anybody is. I've seen this a very positive portrayal of, 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 of the president, um, even more positive of the first lady and of their remarkable relationship. More positive uh, than some cabinet secretaries <laughs> yes, have yes. been in the past, yes. Um, so we'll, we'll be getting a different perspective uh, there. But, Rick, I, 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 like I, I come back to this notion that I do feel as though there is something – um, different. I mean, in one sense, we say this is entirely consistent. I mean, Jeb Bush warned this was going to be the chaos president. We're seeing a lot of chaos. But it just seems to be it seems to be more so. It seems to be a little bit more unmoored than even what we saw for most of last year. It is Trump unleashed. It is Trump allowing himself to be Trump. Uh, he's going back to 
first principles in terms of how he's operated in the business world, a very freewheeling way where he doesn't have to take a lot of inputs uh, in terms of what his outputs are. Uh, he's very reactive to the news cycle. He's uh, playing uh, playing around with the news cycle uh, very often and throwing things out that just, again, it's not about this is outlandish or this is outrageous. It's just not even happening. It's another it's another level of, of reality making. And it is it is a conundrum. And that's where I think people like Ronald Kessler come in to try to explain this and understand this. It, the, these are we, we've he's somebody who's known of, Trump for a long time, by the yeah, way. Yeah, someone for no long time and no decades. That's right. That's right. And, and we're we're getting tired of using phrases like unprecedented and never before and uh, this the, there'll be an unprecedented podcast at some point where we will not use the word <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to dial that back at some point <laughs> but 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 the way that he has scrambled everyone in Washington including people that work for him and especially people sometimes that work for him that's all brand new and at some point you have to think it tests limits I get I, I really want to know what the accountability looks like because I feel like I feel like it is different John in the sense that that this new reality making takes a, a, a different turn when uh, the president isn't just saying things that are that are misleading or false but is but is saying things are happening that can't happen aren't happening and and the whole government apparatus has to spin in that direction but right, let's get right to our guest Ronald Kessler the author of the Trump White House changing the rules of the game uh, mr. Kessler thank you for joining us Thank you for having me. Now, you and I have spoken over the years. You've done some some groundbreaking work uh, on on the Secret Service. Uh, you've done uh, you've done some some um, very interesting uh, investigative journalism. In this book, you are highly critical of the uh, of of the press of the media coverage of of President Trump. But I, I just want to ask you: you don't consider this book journalism, do you? I sure do. I consider it the truth. And, and if you read the chapter titled Scam Artists, uh, there was one example after another of dishonest journalism. I was at the Washington Post for 15 years. I sat next to Woodward and Bernstein. I was on the Wall Street Journal before that. And I can tell you, in those days, uh, you could not get away with this dishonesty, uh, where stories are run uh, and the... Uh, countervailing point is in the last paragraph. If we're in the first, in the lead, uh, the story could not have been run because it would have, would have been exposed as a fraud. So we're not just talking about bias. We're talking about dishonesty. And uh, I think if you see the examples, uh, it will be pretty compelling. Well, you know, when, when I read your book, I, I see this, you know, total defense of President Trump, who you consider a, a great president. That's fine. Uh but you, you have you have quotes in here um, from Sean Spicer, for example, who is uh, or was uh, the White House press secretary. And I just want to read a little a little bit about what uh, Spicer told you and you printed in your book uh, about the first lady. Uh, Spicer said she is a very powerful behind the scenes force. Spicer tells me she always seems to have the pulse on the right move and the right person at the right time. And then. She knows when to pick her battles, and she is always entirely right. I mean, how in the world did you get the White House press secretary to tell you that the First Lady was always entirely right? And how do you take a statement well, like that at face value? 
These are the people who were there. Others uh, said the same thing. Rance Priebus. She's uh, infallible? That, 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 that's the consensus? Well, of why, the... You know, it, it doesn't do any good to just use that tone of voice. Uh, you either accept it or not. If you don't want to accept it, that's fine. Uh, but uh, as you say, I say he's going to be seen as a great president, just like Reagan, who was reviled by the media. But the results uh, were obvious. He got rid of the Soviet Union. He uh, turned the uh, economy around. Same thing with Trump. Both foreign affairs and and domestically lowest unemployment rate, uh, getting rid of ISIS, and there's plenty of negative stuff in the book. I don't see how you can possibly describe it as as uh, you know 100% pro Trump or or a puff piece at all. I mean, for example, uh, well these aides, uh, Kellyanne Conway being the biggest leaker, uh, Ivanka and Jared uh, coming up with the very worst decisions and most foolish decisions in his presidency, uh, the uh, firing of Comey and explain why that was foolish, uh, and on and on and on. Uh, I take the side of the FBI on many of the FBI issues. Uh, there's no way that, you know, if you read the book, uh, that you can think that it's a puff piece. On this point about Kellyanne Conway, because there's gotten some press after you talked about this in a in a, uh, a CNN interview over the weekend, what do you base that on to say that, that, that she is the number one leaker in the White House? Do you have evidence that she is leaking more than anyone else? Well, first of all, when I interviewed her at the White House and it was recorded, she uh, apparently forgot that she was on the record and started uh, going after Ryan's Priebus and, and saying the most... Uh, cutting and and obviously untrue things about him. And I didn't use them in the book because it was so, uh, you know, obvious that it was untrue and, and it would be unfair to use it. She also uh, went into uh, Jared and Ivanka uh, as being uh, people who leak against uh, people like Bannon. She, uh, in addition, uh, AIDS has have told me that uh, they have seen text messages that she sends to journalists and leaks things and 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 uh, uh, undercuts uh, uh, her colleagues. Uh, so so that's the evidence, uh, and it's it's a, a almost a compulsive thing. It goes on now. I can't say that nobody else leaks. No, of course other people leak, but she is sort of the wholesale leaker. See, that, that's based on, on what other aides told you, that they b- believe that no, she's a leaker? No, I just said I interviewed her, and she leaked to me. She uh, derided these other people, including Jared and Ivanka and Reince Priebus, and, and uh, attacked them. So when you, when you look at all the uh, uh, <clears throat> leaks and criticism coming out of the White House, uh, this is the type of thing that she engages in. I, you know, this is a, a recording that I have. I am I am curious about another another anecdote you, you relay or an argument you make that that President Trump himself is often a leaker that he that he'll call people and, and attribute himself as a, as a as a senior White House sure. official and you name some reporters yeah. who you say are the are the recipients of that if you're creating that sort of culture in the White House how what kind of impact do you see and wouldn't you expect a lot of aides to be leaking as a result of it I, I, it just seems like if you're saying this aide in particular aide Kellyanne Conway is the number one leaker it maybe the president is actually the number one leaker we just don't know well, that I think I think it's a, a great point obviously uh, you know if, if you're gonna be a leader and, and you and you leak yourself uh, I don't know what you call it when, when you're leaking on yourself but but certainly it doesn't set a good example and and uh, and I think you may Make a very good point. So, uh, on Jared Ivanka, you yourself have a very negative 
portrayal here, as you alluded to, uh, you say that they are responsible for some of the most disastrous and foolish decisions. The most of Trump's. disastrous. Now you mentioned the, the Comey foolish. firing. What else? Well, that, that and uh, the hiring of Anthony Scaramucci, which has to be the most foolish uh, hire in the history of the White House. And why did they do that? Because he sweet-talked them, and, and uh, they're naive, and, and he convinced them that he could give them good press. They're very, very concerned about their image, and they're very naive, uh, well-intentioned, and, and it's not that they don't ever contribute something good. Uh, Jared, for example, came up with the idea of going to Saudi Arabia first on that trip, and that sent a good message. But overall, uh, if you look at the Trump presidency, the worst decision was hiring Comey because it led to the appointment of Mueller, and uh, uh, as well as uh, hiring Scaramucci, which was just a total farce. Now, do I sound like I'm doing a puff piece on Trump? <laughs> well, I, I, I get to ask a few questions too. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah, why not? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I mean, you, you, you clearly have something against Kellyanne in, in, in the book, and you, and you, you, you clearly no, I have just issues Trump. with. I just, yeah, you know, you're ignoring what I'm saying. I just criticized Trump for, you know, supposedly leaking whatever you call it. So, uh, is that a puff piece? I'm asking you. I, 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 I will take your point. That is criticism. I. I um, still find it interesting and, and, that, that, that you find a quote from the press secretary saying the first lady is infallible as as news. Well, there but, are other quotes you know. from other people besides the press secretary. Yeah. Put it in a broader, if you can, put it in broader context of the of the staff churn that we've seen. Is it, would you contend that that it's all sort of noise, like the tweets, that it all fades away and it doesn't matter that he is firing his his, his cabinet officials and top aides on Twitter? Uh, and engaging in in this sort of internal machinations, and is it how does that fit with the leadership style and with your contention that he's going to go down as a great president? Because it, it, in the day to day, it's it seems like utter chaos. Yeah, it, it is disconcerting. Uh, but what I do is I explain how this guy really works and who he is, and that is, I quote uh, uh, Norma Forder, who is his top aide for twenty six years. When she started working for him, he only had seven other employees. She knew him more than anybody else on both the business and the uh, social side. And she said there are two Donald Trumps. One is the one you see on TV who makes these outrageous comments to get attention for his brand, his real estate brand at the time, now his presidency. He started uh, the idea of a real estate brand before anybody uh, knew anything about that. When he started, uh, there were these obscure names that owned buildings. Uh, He turned that into a brand that stood for prestige and luxury. And then she said, there's the other side, which is the one that we know, the insiders know, which is totally the opposite. He's, he's thoughtful. He listens. Uh, he didn't build this empire uh, of billions of dollars uh, by being a nut or, or a bigot or an idiot. And and that explains what he's up to. He's he's uh, marketing himself. He's like a prize fighter who faints and dodges and, and counter punches and, and makes up stories. You know, for example, his claim that uh, Obama was born in Kenya, you know, totally wrong, totally ridiculous. I sent him a column that I did about that, demonstrating that it was ridiculous, you know, because uh, there was an ad in the Hawaii paper for his, uh, or an announcement of, of Obama's birth. He knew that that was not true, but he had a political uh, motive, and uh, that certainly helped to get him elected. So the White House made a decision coming in uh, at the the very beginning of the Trump presidency to cooperate with two authors, you and Michael Wolff. Uh, 
Um, your 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 book is kind of the mirror image. I think you would agree uh, to, to 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 the Wolf book. Yeah. Can, can yeah, you give me yeah. a sense of 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 how this worked? What kind of access you got? I mean, clearly, you know, Bannon, Priebus, uh, Kellyanne. I'll imagine she won't talk to you again, but but talk to you. Um, you 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 talk Luckily, to the. She hasn't called me to complain, which I understand she does on a regular basis with, you know, with other reporters. On occasion, but, but she, yeah, but she, uh, you know, she says she talked to Trump about it over the weekend, and and she's glad that the book says uh, he's going to be a great president. So I, I, I take that to mean that he 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 gave her the marching orders to you know be somewhat positive on the Wolf book and how this all started. You know, Hope Hicks, everyone likes her. She's beautiful. She uh, certainly is a big supporter of Trump. But I would question her judgment because, first of all, she decided to cooperate on the Wolf book along with Steve Bannon. He was also pushing it. And, you know, what could be more foolish given his track record? You know, Wolf uh, writes for these liberal publications, Vanity Fair. And, of course, he's going to be critical. And I, I call it a novel. I mean, most of it is, 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 is made up. But meanwhile, I was trying to get cooperation, and she wasn't cooperating with me. And I'm, you know, someone who has known Trump for two decades and uh, Melania for two decades. And uh, and I think I do have a, a reputation for just being honest and uh, telling it from both sides uh, and, and being fair. Uh, eventually, they did cooperate. Eventually, I got really unique access. I got the only interview with Trump that he says he has given or will give. Uh, for a book as president, uh, but she certainly uh, is not one of my great uh, heroes. So, so you you went talk to him down at Mar-a-Lago. How, how did how did? Yeah, I <clears throat> uh, I uh, go to Mar-a-Lago, and uh, on the night before New Year's Eve, uh, we were having dinner. He was having dinner with Melania. And by the way, when you see them together, you know you realize this is going to be a lasting marriage. There's a very uh, strong uh, connection. They, they engage in very uh, passionate discussions. They tease each other. They laugh. They just have a great time with each other. And and they were doing that, having dinner. And uh, around 10.30, I went up and said, you know, can we do an interview? And he said, okay, uh, we'll do it tomorrow. Uh, but then he wasn't naming a time. And she essentially lent support to the uh, idea uh, because I really, you know, she knows me. I know her. And uh, in fact, she said to me at one point, I read every one of your articles. And she said, why don't you call over John McEntee, the body person, and he'll set it up for tomorrow. So he came over. But meanwhile, Donald came over and said, OK, let's do it now. So we did it at 11 o'clock at night with my wife, Pam, who's also a former Washington Post reporter. And uh, it was a half an hour interview. I was able to hit a lot of the major points in the book. Having watched him for as long as you have and covered this and written for the book, I'm curious your takeaway on this question. It's a pretty simple question. Does President Trump lie? Oh, yeah. He makes a lot of false statements. Uh, for example, the president of Mexico called me. Uh, uh, the head of the Boy Scouts said it was the best speech ever. He knows he's making up stories, um, but he just thinks it's all a game and it's something that, you know, some people will believe, other people will not believe. Uh, he will be attacked for uh, making up stories, and, and that undercuts his credibility, no question. But then the other side is, wow, he's the center of attention every single day. He's 
number one in the media. He's the number one conversation piece. And he likes that, and it serves his purposes because it makes him uh, a more powerful leader. You know, everyone wants to either kowtow to him or, or they're afraid of him. Foreign leaders are afraid that he's going to do some crazy thing. Uh, CEOs of, of companies uh, want to uh, get his support. Uh, so that's the way he leads, and, and that has been successful if you look at the results. Uh in, in terms of both the economy and, and foreign affairs. I guess I'm just curious how you, and this is something I struggle with, and I know a lot of reporters struggle with all the time, is that the point you just made, there is there's there is no other side when you're talking about the truth from where I stand. And it just, it how do you square that with the, yes, yeah, sure, he's, he's doing things, he's successful in lots of ways, I get that. But if the man is is on a regular basis telling lies, telling falsehoods, propagating things that he knows not to be true, how do you square that as a as a journalist who's there to cover the truth and, and wants to, wants to know that public officials are honest? I don't like it. I, I wish he would stop that. And you know, as I mentioned, uh, I tried to get him to stop the uh, Obama was born in Kenya uh, tirade. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, other presidents certainly lie. Uh, Obama said you can keep your doctor, et cetera, but they tended to be uh, lies that were not as easily discernible, you know, uh, so uh, that certainly is something that is part of his shtick, and uh, we're going to be stuck with it. Well, uh, it's interesting um, uh, to, to hear you say that he is, the President of the United States is somebody who lies uh, habitually, undercuts his own credibility, but also somebody who you believe will be go down as one of the great presidents. Um, I, guess, I guess we'll just have to take that. I, it seems to me the credibility of of that office is a pretty important measure of of sure and, the, and, the, the, the know, greatness not to, or not greatness of the president. It, but, yeah, yeah, not to excuse it, but but if you look at other presidents, Lyndon Johnson, for example, lied about the Vietnam War. Seventy five thousand of our American soldiers died for for no reason. Uh, Nixon, of course, lied about Watergate, uh, and uh, Bill Clinton lied about his affair. And yet, many of these presidents did produce good results. So. Uh, that seems to be just uh, the way presidents operate. And uh, maybe they just don't become president unless they engage in some of this. All right. Well, Ronald Kessler, uh, the author of The Trump White House, Changing the Rules of the Game. Thank you for coming on and talking to us. And uh, we will uh, check in with you again down the road. Thank you. That's great. I enjoyed it. Thank you. So, so Rick, uh, definitely, without question, a very positive portrayal of the president and the first lady in that book. Um, but I have to hand it to you. You drew out from Ronald Kessler a uh, quite an astounding statement. The president, basically, he was saying, habitually lies. Yeah. Speaks yeah. untruths. Undermines his own credibility. And this from the author that has written I, what will be the most positive I mean, we'll see what happens with Sean Spicer's book, I guess. <laughs> uh, but 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 the most positive book on outside the, on the account, Trump, certainly yeah. on, on the Trump presidency. Yeah, and and I do think the only plausible way to explain this phase, or maybe any phase of the Trump presidency, is to accept the fact that the president regularly says things that aren't true. He creates realities in his mind and, and throws them out there into the world. Now, if you want to be critical of the president for that. A lot of people certainly have and have the right to be. You say, well, the president should be speaking the truth. 
if you want to have a more charitable view, as Kessler and a lot of allies inside and outside the White House will say, is, look, the guy is leading, and this is his leadership style, and this is the style that people got. And I will say this about him. It, it, for all of the dishonesties, and there were so many of them during the campaign and, and throughout, there's always been a fundamental honesty about how the president conducts his own life. He is out there. This is what he does. This is what he has always done. He did this in the private sector. He did it under oath. He did it uh, in, in business dealings. He did it in previous political uh, uh, dabblings that he had. This is what he does, and this is what he has done. Done, it's what the shocking thing is that he continues to do it as president. And I guess the, the one silver lining here is that when he says outrageous things that are considered dangerous, damaging to the United States image in the world, damaging to the global economy, at least uh, people look back and say, well, maybe he didn't really mean it. <laughs> maybe it was just another one of those things. We shouldn't take it literally. Yeah, let's not take it so. literally, you know, maybe not even seriously. Uh, all right. Uh, that is all the time we have now for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to our team, including the great Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Angie Yak, and the legions of people here at ABC News that make this podcast possible. And our studio audience today, Jack Klein, third grader at Janet Elementary. Great to have you with big. us, my friend. This guy's big. This guy's got, this guy's got a future. You know and it. And you know what? I'm a little concerned, though, Rick. I heard his fantasy team is, is out off to a bad start. <laughs> but we will, we'll bring it up in another, uh, in another episode. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Rick. Talk to you next week. <laughs>